Our scripture lesson today comes from the gospel, the good news of John, chapter 15. Let's share in God's good word together. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. To abide is to live in relationship. To abide is to remain in relationship with someone. And when we are bonded, when we abide, we matter. We matter deeply to someone. When we are with them, we are desired. And when we are away, we are missed. We're not meant to be alone. We are meant to be connected with one another. Jesus' command is love one another. Jesus says, abide in me and love one another. Psychologist John Townsend writes, we are born empty, frightened, needy beings. We want love, but after repeatedly being punished for having needs, seeing others withdraw from our needs and having our trust betrayed, most of us inwardly decide that numbness is the best policy. To protect myself, I must live without needing others. And to live without needing others, I must not feel my own needs. Devaluing our needs has the personal usefulness of protecting us from the pain of needing care and grace from others and not being able to have it. There is no more excruciating emotional pain in the world than this, he writes. Hear me, friends. You don't have to live like this. There is hope and there is help. For the next four weeks, we will look at unlocking our family patterns. And with God's help and one another, we will find freedom from the past hurts and begin to move into healthier relationships. It's possible, friends, and it starts now as we love and work and abide together in our new sermon series, Relationship Boot Camp. We do this each year as we head into Valentine's Day. So guys, it's coming up. February 14th, we want to be families who bless one another, who love one another. But sometimes it goes sideways on us. And I just want to admit out loud that every single family that I know is broken in some way, either in public or in private. And so as a way of introduction, um, I want to simply say this, that dysfunctional families are often found in the church. As a matter of fact, all families in the church are dysfunctional at one level or another. And as we become aware of our family patterns of what drives us, the things that we thought maybe we were over years ago that are still affecting us in our relationships at work and in our homes uh, and with our hobbies and with our friends. Well, let's just say it like this. Recovery takes time and it takes a lot of effort. It can be a painful process. Say this with me, recovery takes time and is a painful process, but it's worth it 
because that's where the good stuff is. That's where life is. Jesus could have saved the world however he wanted to, but he chose to come to us, into our messes, into our lives, into the messy lives of 12 disciples of the masses and of his inner circle of three and, of course, of the life of John, whom he loved, the beloved disciple. Chuck Swindoll um, wrote it this way. He says, this process cannot be accelerated by cramming more and more convicting scriptures down the throat of the abandoned or the abused. Friends, the church is to be a place of healing and wholeness and grace and love and acceptance for all of God's children wherever we find ourselves. And we can't speed up the process just because it's uncomfortable, not for ourselves, not for others. The other thing we have to get right is that guilt and shame, well, they're no friends of healing. Guilt and shame are not friends of grace that prompt inner healing. No, they work against us. Guilt says that was bad, and shame says I'm bad. Both of those things are very difficult when it comes to healing. And so we do need to know what's going on. We need to know the truth. And sometimes guilt can get us there, but sometimes guilt just leads us in a spin. And shame is never helpful. So, in case we missed it the first time, all families are flawed. All of them. You can underline that. All families are flawed and therefore dysfunctional in some way or another. I don't know about you, but I thought my family was perfect until I got to college. And then I met some other families. I met some other friends and they said, you know, that's weird. That thing that you do or that thing that you think, like, that's not normal or that's not how my family did it. And it was really the first time in my life that I thought, what? Well, my family's not perfect. What? That's not how you do it. And wow, I've been amazed. I've met a lot of good, healthy families. Some of them I have the same traits of and some of them I don't. And I bet that's your experience too. But every family is flawed in some way, public or private. I want you to think about this. Compulsive behaviors around food, sex, work, and alcohol are common in the best of families. Even our very best families, even leaders in the church and in society struggle with these things because that is the human condition. All of us struggle in some way. And this has been really interesting for me. I only have one sister. Uh, I have one sibling. She is a sister. She's about 26 months older than I am. And sometimes when we look back at things in our family, when we're talking about a memory that we have, we see it and remember it very differently. The truth is this. Siblings raised in the same family system often perceive that family very differently. And part of it is because we each have a role to play. And some families, most families, even have a scapegoat. And certainly that scapegoat understands family events much differently than the rest of the family as they carry the weight and often the abuse of the family system. Psychologist Dr. Henry Cloud says this, It is Christianized wishful thinking for people who have never experienced serious emotional damage or recovery to assert that therapy for persons who have been injured isn't necessary, that all they need is Jesus. Well, Dr. Cloud and I would both say, of course we all need Jesus. 
but we also need a therapist or we need a psychologist or a psychiatrist. We all need help in dealing with our lives. That's what we're here on the planet to do is to help one another to, as Jesus said it, love one another. So in case somehow you've missed it, this sermon series for each person within the sound of my voice is for ordinary families like yours. This sermon series is for ordinary families in ordinary everyday struggles that we all face. And I know what some of you are saying, well, my family's not ordinary. Well, you might want to rethink that one. We all are ordinary in our some ways and we all are special in some ways. Um, and I want you to know that I'm not winging this sermon series. Um, Pastor Brandon and I and our team, uh, we've been looking at this book called Unlocking Your Family Patterns. Uh, it's written by four uh, well-known psychologists uh, who have a lot of years under their belt. And so we're really gleaning some of the very best of this book and sharing it with you over the next four weeks. Today, we're going to start at the very beginning, and that is learning how to bond. Learning to bond is the very first thing we do with our children. And when that goes south or that goes awry, it causes great problems. I want you to think about this. When you grow up in your family system, the health of that system and the length that you're in that system determines the rest of all of your adult relationships from then on. It is the foundational piece. What happens in your home affects all the rest of your life. And sometimes that's a great launching pad, and sometimes there's a lot of repair and work to do as you go on. So the first and most fundamental human need the family should meet is forming deep and loving attachments. This is where we answer the question in our life, do I belong? Am I loved? Who am I? We learn this in our home at the very beginning. We either know that we belong. We know that we're loved. We know that we are a child of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. And sometimes we don't if that's not in our family home. And we have to learn it somewhere else. Family is the place where our bondedness is either developed or destroyed. It's either lifted up or broken down. It's very, very important. Psychologist John Townsend says it like this. People need a place of emotional shelter. The family's job is to provide its members, especially its young children, a sense of unconditional cherishing. I find that to be rather rare. Unconditional cherishing. So much of our culture is transactional. So much of our culture is conditional love to get what you want. Um, many of you all have read lots and lots of studies about behavior modification. Uh, and certainly uh, in the 50s and 60s, there was a whole movement about behavior modification. It was not about unconditional love at all. It was about very conditional love to get the behavior that you want so that your child would thrive and become excellent. We are in a culture war with what the Bible says about loving one another and unconditional love and what the culture says about how you create warriors and people that beat others in a competitive system. So the family in our tradition and the faith tradition of Christianity, it's the first place where its members can learn to count on the safety and nurture of one another. That's how it is to be. In the wisdom literature of the Bible, in Ecclesiastes, it says this. 
Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Friends, we are better together. We are stronger together. We are to lift one another up, to show each other unconditional love, and to be a blessing for the world. So our home is to be a filling station where we receive what we need to go out into the world. Home is to be a filling station where we receive what we need to go out into the world. And if we find that our emotional needs are welcome in the family, we will experience a sense of bondedness throughout our lives. Dr. Townsend's exactly right about that. Some of the healthiest adults I've ever met. When I met their families, I realized, oh, that's where that comes from. They live in a sense of blessing and of peace and of grace and of can-do spirit. They're not afraid to fail because they know if they fail, they will have hands and love to catch them and to bless them. Their safety net is very, very large. Of course, the the other's true as well. Some of the most frightened and dismayed and worried people I've ever met found themselves abused or abandoned early in life. When they did something wrong, they weren't met with love and acceptance and joy and care. They were met with criticism and harshness and withdrawal or anger or hostility. So there are a few components of family bonding, and I want to share them with you um, because they're super important, and you may not know them. The first is this, safety. Safety first. What we mean by safety is that people need a place of emotional shelter, and that starts in your home. Parents, with all that I am, I implore you to allow your children to be who they really are in your home. Celebrate them encourage them, bless them, love them right where they are, no matter what. Now, what we mean by this is that this is an atmosphere of feeling connected no matter what conflict exists. Will conflict exist? Of course. That's just the way life is. Of course there's going to be conflict, but there can also be acceptance and love and correction in the middle of the conflict. The Bible says it like this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father whom, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Paul's writing this to the church in Ephesus. He says, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. And what I think Paul means by that is this atmosphere of love and faithfulness, even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of disagreements, even if things aren't going the way you want them to go quite yet, you can still be rooted and grounded in love. So family members in this system ask about each other's feelings. So let's say it like this. Safe families ask not, what are you doing? But also, how are you doing? Safe families ask not just what are you doing, but also how are you doing? That's an important question. Healthy families make anger and sadness acceptable. 
It's really important. I want you to think about all the emotions that you have in your family system. And if your family system is like mine, you have a lot of emotions. But you might be missing one or two. Maybe your family knows how to celebrate, really throw a good party, or maybe they don't. Maybe your family knows how to be really angry. Maybe they know how to be sad. Maybe they don't. So whatever it is in your family system, I want you to think about all the emotions that can be there. And what happens to those emotions? Are the, is the full range of life of the way the world really is, is that accepted in your home? And can you embrace that with your children and your siblings and your parents? Because if not, we're doing damage to one another. Paul writes to the early church in Corinth, he says it like this, as it is, there are many members yet one body. Your family system is one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So friends, if you have a family member that's sad, if you have a family member that's hurting, Paul says to the church, he's saying to you and I, that person is not to be dismissed. They're not to go to their room. They're not to get over it on their own. No, they are indispensable. If they're having a hard time, if they're in a weak moment, they are indispensable. We are to gather them and to love them and to support them and to listen to them and to come alongside them until they are strong. Think of your own life. Have you been strong every day, every week, every year of your life? Of course not. So when we have family members that are struggling, when they're weak, we come alongside them and lift them up. Strong family members are emotionally warm and gentle when hurt feelings are experienced. And friends, this, this is hard. This is hard. Now, it, it may not be hard when your cute little four-year-old crawls up in your lap and they have a boo-boo. That's, that's not hard. It is hard when your adult child comes to you as an parent and points out that perhaps you were not the greatest parent. Many people of my age, in their 50s, sometimes there's brokenness between siblings or over aging parents. And if you, you've tried this, you know how dangerous that can be. When there's been brokenness about something and you go to an aging parent and you say, you know, that really hurt my feelings. I don't know about you, but I haven't always been received with warm and gentleness feelings in return because it's an affront when somebody comes to me with the way I've hurt them it takes a great deal of maturity to sit there and to hear that and to process that and to love them and to be warm and gentle back it's a sign of maturity and it doesn't come to everyone all the time we're not going to do this stuff perfectly but it is important that we keep moving forward that we keep trying because we are one body The second thing after safety is modeling. And so if we've had a hard time having those conversations, it's even more important that we learn how to do them in front of our children. So modeling, parents teach by doing, being vulnerable with our joys, our sorrows, and our conflict. Now, in preaching and in modeling, I'd like to share this. When we share 
we don't want to bleed on everybody. So we're not really sharing our open wounds. We're really more sharing our scabs or certainly our scars. We're sharing things that we're going through uh, with our children, but we also have to realize our children are not yet adults. And so we share appropriately. Yes, we're sad when we're sad. We're happy when we're happy. We're confused when we're confused. And we need to model all of those emotions before our families. But we also need to be careful that we don't overload little ones with our problems. And that's a real problem uh, with families where sometimes um, I'll meet a family and what do you know? The 12-year-old is the parent. And that is way too much responsibility for a little one. So modeling, we need to be able to model the behavior that we hope is healthy for our children. And then thirdly, we want to communicate. Communicating our needs and struggles in an environment of receptivity and trust. All of this is super healthy. So we want to communicate, we want to listen, and it needs to be a place of trust. We see you, we accept you, we trust you. Here we go. So if you're kind of struggling with some of this, here's the good news. God wants to help. You're not alone. God wants to help. And that help will almost assuredly require other humans to come alongside you. So here's, you might be thinking, well, how do I know if I'm struggling with this? How do, how do I know if I've got work to do? Well, here's some symptoms of bonding deficits. Maybe you didn't uh, bond uh, with your family of origin. So here's some ways for you to kind of take a self-assessment of you and your family. Number one, when all the members of the family are at home, they spend their time in different rooms. You might say it like this. When all the members of the family are at home, they're all on their phones. We don't talk to each other. We, one's playing a game, one's listening to music, one's reading a book, one's, you know, surfing the web on something else. So when you're together, are you together? Because just because you're home doesn't mean you're present to one another. The second thing you might look for. When family members need comfort, they turn to food or to drugs or they just keep working or their hobbies or etc. Anything that's not actually relational. And so sometimes that's just how your family system did it. Oh, you had a bad day? Let me make you cake. Oh, you had a bad day? You know, we're going to go out to eat. Oh, you're sad? We're, we're going to go to the mall. Well, sometimes you can be sad or have a bad day or angry and you can just talk about it. You really can. You can listen to one another, pray for one another, love one another, be accepting and warm and gentle. Here's another one. Conversations at home center on what a person is doing as opposed to how they are doing. That is a game changer. And so if you find yourself just asking, well, what are they doing or what are they doing? You might ask yourself, well, when's the last time I actually asked my son or my daughter, or my spouse, or my mom, or my dad, or my sister, or my brother. How are you doing these days? So our action steps for this week. First of all, in our conversation with our God who loves us, we can move to a personal level rather than a grocery list level. We can move from, hey God, I need this, 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 and this, to, Lord, I'm feeling this. I'm feeling lonely, or I'm feeling isolated, or I'm feeling afraid, or I'm feeling confused, or I'm feeling uncertain, or I'm feeling joyful, or I'm feeling excited. And I want to relate with you personally, God. Come to me, Lord Jesus, and talk to me. Come, Holy Spirit, and work this out in me. Show me how to attach to those around me 
and my family, at my work, with my closest friends. Secondly, I want to encourage you to be brave, to take a risk by sharing an emotional issue with a safe person of faith. Now, friends, I want to be really clear about this. Almost always, this needs to be a person, uh, man-to-man, woman-to-woman. You need to be really careful with these relationships, particularly if you're married. You need to make sure that you don't confuse acceptance and warmth and gentleness with romance. It can be similar and it can be super confusing. So I want you to have good attachments, but I want you to have good, healthy attachments. And so if you have something you've never shared with another person, I want you to really pray about, think about, and take a step, take a risk by sharing an emotional issue with a safe person of faith that you won't have a romantic entanglement with. Jesus' brother James says it like this. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Get out that thing that has been a burden to you, that dark piece in you that that you're afraid that someone's going to find out. Get that up and out to a safe person. And more often than not, that's a good therapist. That's a licensed professional counselor or a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Confess your sins to that other person and then pray for one another. Let them pray for you so that, why do you do that? Why do I encourage this? So you may be healed. That's the whole point of this, so that life and light and joy can come to you, so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. I've seen people's lives completely changed from hardship to joy because they finally allowed the truth of their pain to be known. And then the healing can begin. And not until. And then finally, find a safe, uncritical relationship of acceptance and warmth, where you can share at a deep level. We all need attachments. We all need friends. And we hear the words of our Savior Jesus when he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I've accepted you. I've come to where you are. I could have stayed in heaven. I chose not to. I came to this earth full of doubt and hurt and darkness and pain. And I've come to you to accept you and love you right where you are. Do the same for someone else, Jesus says. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. This work can be hard. This work can be difficult. And it is so important, friends, that we are about this work of reconciliation, of love, of acceptance, of warmth, of gentleness. And that will require that we lay down our pride, our agenda, and our very life in the name of Jesus to bring healing to a hurting world, which includes us, our families, our friends, our coworkers, those who live around us, because we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves, because Jesus says, love one another. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are God of relationship. That even in your own self, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you are in perfect relationship all the time. That you don't need us, but that you love us. That all of your relationship needs are met in your own self. And we thank you that you choose to love us anyway. That you chose to come in the person of Jesus. That we might know your great love and acceptance and warmth and grace. Help us attach ourselves to you and to those around us with deep, unconditional love and acceptance and grace. 
And we thank you that you've taught us even how to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.